But I guess I just realized that I see it in like my life now. So I see people that are fearful of flying. Uh-huh. I hate to, I honestly shouldn't generalize this, but this is what like, so if you have a joyless existence, Mm-hmm. your fear of death increases. Yeah. Right? If you're literally living like a joyful existence, mm-hmm. then the fear of death diminishes. Right. So I don't know if that holds true for everyone. I feel like it's a weird sign. Like when I see people that are afraid of things that you would think that they wouldn't need to be afraid of, you know, mm-hmm. whatever it is. Ir- like Irrational fears. Right. Yeah. Irrational fears. Welcome. To Confessions of a Financial Advisor, the antidote to conventional financial wisdom. My name is Al, and I've been a financial advisor for over 20 years. This podcast will explore the emotional and psychological factors that affect our behaviors. All of the other financial podcasts out there will talk about the numbers and the math. We will confront the stories that we all fuse with that ultimately set the course for our lives. I am not looking for new clients and have no intention on running for any kind of office. I'm going to tell you like it is and call out all the commonplace BS. Now, let's get into confessions of a financial advisor. All right, we're live. Episode 17, and this one is called Overcoming Fear. I'm here with my partner in crime, Diane. Hey. Hey, Al. Good to be here. Good to have you here once again. Oh, this man. Is such a large topic, fear. It is. We got a lot to cover on this one because there's so many different angles and storylines and threads. And aspects and applications and yeah. And this is one um, everyone can relate to. I'm not even going to say I'm sure everyone can. Everyone can. If you don't have fear, you're a psychopath. (laughs) So (laughs) you need to have some fear in your life. Everybody, it's natural. (laughs) It's not going to hurt you. It can can actually be fun. Yes, it can be fun. And we're going to get into how fear and excitement are very similar sensations Mm -hmm. with two polar opposite interpretations. But to start the post, like with overcoming fear, I talk about being a kid in Long Island. And every summer I would spend, this is, you know, probably from 12 until, I don't know, 16, 17. Every summer would be spent for the most part at the beach. Mm -hmm. Place is called Robert Moses State Park. It was amazing beach. Tons of people went there. I'd have to take two buses to get there and two buses to get back. Mm -hmm. And this is why it was my summer routine was to go to the beach and then for the most part, spend most of the day in the ocean, mm-hmm. riding waves. But I remember specifically, me and my friends would swim out into the ocean mm-hmm. until our feet couldn't touch the bottom yeah. and just tread water for you know half hour straight, just messing around, dunking each other. Mm-hmm. Not a fear in the world. Loved it. Like just loved it. Had no fear of the ocean. Same thing as a kid, uh, flying, you know, for the handful of times I actually flew mm-hmm. as a kid. I remember just it was fun. There was not one ounce of fear, even if there was turbulence. I don't remember there ever being turbulence as a mm-hmm. kid, but just, you know, crawling back on the sea, taking your seatbelt off, just doing whatever you want. just just so happy you're on a plane. Then you fast forward into I mean, adulthood. My, adulthood. <laughs> and specifically, it was right around the time of my divorce where it was before then, but it started creeping into my life, fear. 
you know, going to the beach on vacation and then being like, oh, what the hell's around me? You know, I can't see anything. Oh, that might be, you know, just start freaking out with my thoughts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe too many views of Jaws or Shark Week or... That could be. And then flying for whatever reason. Now, turbulence, it wasn't even turbulence. It was like any sound the plane would make, you know, like would it bring down the wheels or it would turn its flaps and you'd hear like this vibration. Yeah. I would white knuckle of the seat, clenching and just my like just on edge at every little nuance of the, what the plane was doing. Mm-hmm. What is going on? Why am I so afraid? This is crazy. Everybody, and I'm looking around. Everybody else looks super calm. People are sleeping, right. listen, watching their movies, laughing. I'm like, why am I? The only one not cool, calm, and collected on this plane. Yeah. What's yeah. wrong with me? And so then I read this story, one of the stories in the four-hour work week, which is by Tim Ferriss. It was one of the books that I could say it changed my life. It basically just gave me just a whole new perspective on the way you can live your life. Mm. And there's this one story in it. And long story short, it's basically a guy that's a corporate lawyer that's hating his life, miserable, working ungodly hours, sleeping under his desk for like these long projects. He finally gets away and he takes this trip to Brazil. And he's on the plane to Brazil and he's terrified, just like I was, white knuckling mm-hmm. it. Every sense of turbulence, he's freaking out. He gets there. He does like this hand gliding thing. He does some wild adventurous things. And he starts mm. to get the notion that maybe I should, you know, this corporate job is not for me and I should be doing this adventure thing that really excites me. Yeah. And within a couple of weeks after he gets back, he quits his job as a corporate lawyer and literally just goes down to Brazil, purchases a business which is like an adventure company. Mm-hmm. The tail end of the story is talking about now when he flies, mm-hmm. he can go through the roughest turbulence and sleep like a baby. Mm-hmm. It really like just kind of flipped the whole script for me when I heard that. I'm like, oh, the reason why he was afraid because he wasn't living the life that he wanted to live. He wasn't living a life that he was passionate about and he wasn't working in a career that he was truly passionate about. I mean, who as a kid wants to be an attorney when you grow up? <laughs> Or a realtor or financial advisor for that matter. Like Like Alex Keaton from Family Ties. (laughs) (laughs) He wants to be a politician. But I always thought it was the opposite. I always thought that if you lived a great life, right, you're really happy about your life, that you'd be afraid to die because you want to continue to live your happy life. And I thought if you lived a shitty life or, you know, a shitty, miserable existence that you would pray to die, you know, like, yeah, let this plane go down, you know? Right, right. But it was the opposite. I'm like, oh, again. Oh, our the book opposite. of opposite. Yeah, let's yes. check that off on our book of opposites. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that just flipped it for me. And then I started to realize that people are willing to deal with this kind of long, chronic type pain, very low level or like, how would you say it? Like a kind of moderate chronic, chronic yes. like a moderate like low level buzzing in the background type of noise. That's like, you can hear it. It's irritating, but it's not irritating enough for you to get up and figure out how to shut it off. Yeah. You're idling a little higher than like a normal baseline. And you're willing to do that for like long periods of time. And I always wondered like, why are people willing to do that? Why do they have this low level of fear that they're just willing to sit on or this low level of pain that they're willing to just deal with for endless amounts of time? Mm -hmm. And it's their fear of the acute. Like they're scared of the big jump, you know? Like, what is it? The devil that you're with. I know the devil that I'm with. you know. (laughs) (laughs) I got to stop throwing out folks I don't know before. I (laughs) should look them up beforehand. But it's you're tolerating 
chronic pain or irritation because you're trying to avoid the much shorter term acute pain that you perceive to be worse. Right. And usually that acute pain is what gets you through it. And so that the acute and the chronic both go away. And divorce is an excellent example of that. And you and I have both been through <sighs> yes. that. And would you go back to living the chronic pain of an unhappy relationship? No. I mean, th these are like the crucibles. It's like sort of you right. realize that you had to deal with it for as long as you had to deal with it until you got so fed up that you, and you've stated it in other posts where you were unwilling to pay the price going forward. You paid the price for all this amount of time, but there was a point where you're like, I'm unwilling to do this. Enough. I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah. So it's almost like you have to get to this almost sense of disgust with your life. And this if you threshold that you just can't keep living like that anymore, that I don't care how bad divorce is. I don't care how painful it's going to be. I don't care. Yeah. I'm willing to walk through it. I got to jump. I got to jump without a net here. And jump just... and the net will appear. It's the same. Yeah. When you can't see the net, it's terrifying to jump. It is. And, but I always think like what I got out of that whole, like the divorce experience and like just the whole idea of getting out of the chronic by going through the acute is yeah. that why do we have to wait for disgust to motivate us? Why do we have to put our feet to the fire? Why does it have to get that bad? Yeah. yeah and can we just make these decisions without it getting to that point? Can we make them in the moments? You know, in the moment we're like, this is chronic. Let me get out of this now. Let me not spend another five years in a job I hate. Let me not spend the rest of my life waiting for my spouse to die. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were talking about exactly. You don't like your spouse and like you're feeding him extra burgers. You're just and waiting. Like, yeah, waiting. Yeah, he's got diabetes. You're giving him extra How cake. joyless does that sound? Like, I'm <laughs> <hard>. <laughs> No. You don't like the person you're with. Trade yeah. them in. It's... Right. You'd rather try to kill them than walk away from it. Yeah. <laughs> Generations of people that have come before us have lived their lives that way. And they look at us like we're crazy. Like, what do you mean you're divorcing? They do. Yeah. And I'm totally not trying to say that there's not struggles when you're married and that everyone should get divorced in the first struggle. There's <laughs> in a difference. Any relationship, there's in any relationship. In any relationship. Yeah. Because you're never going to have two people who are completely identical, which is part of why relationships work. So. But I guess I just realized that, and then I, I see it in like my life now. So I see people that are fearful of flying. Uh -huh. I hate to, I shouldn't, I honestly shouldn't generalize this, but this is what, like, so if you have a joyless existence, Mm -hmm. your fear of death increases, Yeah. right? If you're literally living like a joyful existence, mm -hmm. then the fear of death diminishes. Right. So I don't know if that holds true for everyone. I feel like it's a weird sign. Like when I see people that are afraid of things that you would think that they wouldn't need to be afraid of, you know, mm -hmm. whatever it is. Ir like Irrational fears. Right, yeah, irrational fears. And that kind of leads into like, both of us have stories of traveling alone. So traveling alone for me was something I always wanted to do, but was always fearful of doing. Yeah. You know, because when you travel, you go with your spouse, or you go with your girlfriend, or you go with your boyfriend, or you go with right. friends, or Family. you're always going with someone. With someone else. Yeah. Like, when do you ever like, just go? Go. And yeah. go to a place you're unfamiliar with by yourself. Yeah. So that we both <laughs> an additional level of fear <laughs> and the anxiety and holy hell, what have I done? Yeah. yeah. In my case, after I got divorced, I was like, it was just more of like F, F all of this fear. I'm tired uh -huh. of it. Like I just have to start confronting stuff. Yeah. Like I'm tired of living in fear. So I booked the ticket to Costa Rica. Mm -hmm. 
by myself one week, just going, don't know anybody there, barely speak the language. I know a little bit of Spanish, just show up. And it was like, it was hard. It was hard. Like leading up to the trip, it was like, you're in and out of that, like anxiety. Like when you think about it, like you get that jolt of fear and you're like, Uh you're fine. You can do this. You can do this. And then that led up. I got there. I jump in a taxi. It's an hour and a half drive to where I'm going. Mm. And, you know, we stop on this bridge and I look over the side of the bridge. It was called like the crocodile bridge. Okay. And like, there's these giant crocodiles, like oh my God. 20 <laughs> feet down that are just bathing like in this. I'm like, holy crap. I'm like in the wild here. Mm-hmm. And I get to the hotel and I was like, well, here you go. Like I took my bags. I just remember I took my bags, threw them on the bed. Yep. I'm like, obviously I'm not going to stay in the hotel room. I'm not here with anyone. <laughs> I go, go to the hotel bar. Yeah. Within a minute, two guys sitting at the bar. Hey, how you doing? Get talking. Within a half mm-hmm. hour, we get to know each other a little bit. Hey, you want to come out with us tonight? Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. Hung out with them for a full week. They became like friends. I still talk to one of them today. Mm-hmm. All the fear just went away. I was like, oh, now I got two buddies to hang out with. This is cool. People so I never the, knew. The fear only actually existed in anticipating being in the experience. Once you're actually, you show up and you're in the experience, it doesn't, you don't feel afraid. That's right. And That's so it's right. only, fear is only anticipatory. Yeah. And the anticipatory can last for, there's no time frame on it. So it could be very long or it could be like right before you're about to do something. It'll last as long as you want to hold on to it. Yeah. Yeah. And so you had a similar experience going to, and this is recent for you. So you went to New Orleans. I did. By yeah. yourself. All by myself. I knew nobody in the city. Showed up and did not research, which horrifies my inner perfectionist. Because mm-hmm. um, I am a researcher and a planner. Yeah, I just, for no reason other than I wanted to go. Didn't know anyone. And I, I didn't want to keep waiting for friends to plan a trip or for another opportunity to arise. This mastermind retreat had shown up as an opportunity for me to say yes to. And for whatever reason... I wanted to. I wanted to say yes and take advantage. New Orleans had been coming up in countless conversations for a year, a year before Mm -hmm. I ended up going there. But I just chose to drop all of my internal mental excuses and just book the basics of travel and just show up and experience that city. And it is one of the best experiences of my life without question. Wow. And yeah. You press a few buttons on your computer and your books. Click, pay for it and yeah, just show up. And I was telling you the story of then talking about layering anxiety on this. So where I was staying in New Orleans was across this enormous lake, Lake Pontchartrain, which is just north of the city. And like I'd seen it on the map. I'm like, oh, how cool to get from where I was staying to where I needed to go to the retreat. There's this road across this bridge. Didn't even consider it. Didn't, again, didn't research it. If I'd Googled it, I would have found some terrifying information. It's one of the scariest roads to drive in the world. I end up driving. There I am on this bridge. And I'm like, holy hell, like the only way beyond it is through it. (laughs) The bridge is like more than 20 miles long. It's its own zip code. I swear. It's not a bridge. It is more than 20 miles in length. And you don't see land for a significant amount of time. And I'm driving like, Mm. oh my god and it wasn't even, i think it made it worse that it was pretty low to the water mm. so just almost right on top of the water your horizon was like all oh water 
Yeah. yeah. And I'm just having to focus on breathing. I'm like, just keep going, just keep going. But I had never experienced anything like that. And I'm not, I'm really not a fearful driver, but yeah, I was afraid on that. Like just imagining again, it only existed in my mind, imagining what if, what if, what if scenarios tormenting myself. Right. Half mile bridge, no problem. 20 mile bridge, anxiety. Well, driving to Jones Beach yeah. and Robert Moses and you drive all over Crosley bridges to get there and back. Yep. And it's, a non-issue. But non-issue. This damn bridge. Wow. Yeah, it was something else to experience. And so when you get back from a trip like that, I mean, the reason why you do it in the first place, there is this sense of adventure. It's not all overcoming fear. It's no. like this idea of like, I know there's going to be something good on the other side of this. Yeah, even better than what I can imagine. Like, yeah, you and I show can't. up in a room with like eight to 10 other people that, again, I've never met before. Mm-hmm. And oh my God, it was a brilliant three days. It was absolutely it was so much better than I ever could have imagined. And now you could just continue to do that. Well, and now I can't deny that I have the experience of traveling alone, number one, and just going simply because I want to, not waiting for anyone else and just going. I did another Costa Rica trip just this past year Uh to combat my fear of the ocean that I was talking about in the beginning of the podcast where... I'm like, I'm tired of this. I'm like, I love the ocean. I love right. the ocean. I'm tired of being afraid of it. Like I would go in on vacation, like up to my waist, but I'd never like swim out. I never, never stay in it. Yeah. yeah. Never stay in it long enough to really appreciate it. You know, just kind of cool off and then get out. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I got to book a surf trip. I got to do a week long surf camp where I'm forced to be in the ocean for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. And again, anxiety, the anticipatory, you know, just leading up to the trip. I'm like, oh shit, you know, and I'd be, basically wake up in the middle of the night, have like visions of like being in the ocean in the dark and like just being mm-hmm. all by myself and just, you know, just weird, these glimpses, almost like little movie clips would happen and it yeah. would like create this intense fear. Fast forward to the trip, I get, I get to the trip. I mean, I'm talking the first time I get in the water, mm-hmm. get out there, no fear. No, I mean, I'm, you're just concentrating on what you're doing. You got instructors with you. Yeah. And then after a few days, it was like, I'm learning how to like now ride waves. I'm getting up on the board. Mm-hmm. And we would spend three to four hours every single day just in the ocean. And most mm-hmm. of the time spent waiting, you know, just waiting in the ocean because you're waiting for waves to come in. You're waiting for your turn. Yep. So the funny thing is the fear doesn't go away. I have a trip planned. I'm literally leaving in five days to go to Nicaragua. Mm-hmm. The same type of thing, surf camp. Mm-hmm. And I have the same glimpses are still happening in my head. Like it's popping up. You're going to be out right. there. You're going to be by yourself. Somebody's going to lose you. You're going to get clobbered. There's going to be sharks. There's going to be this. And I'm like, oh, I got that now. I understand what that is. That it is just happens. Real. Yeah. That's, it's yeah. all, if fear is not real, it only exists within our own minds. And that I could handle it. Like I never thought I could yeah. handle it. Or my handling of it would be like, just not do it. Oh, well, I can handle that fear. I'm going to avoid it. That is a choice. And I chose to avoid dating for several years after. Yes. For my husband. And then, then I was confronted at how I was holding myself back. I'm like, well, shit. Yeah. yeah. Even the experience of like that for a very first date after divorce. Mm. And it had been two years. This was two and a half years ago. Um, did I ever tell you about this guy? No. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm you dying to hear this. To hear Absolutely. <laughs> So I show up and again, it's all in my head. I was up in the middle of the night, so much insomnia, like all leading up to meeting this guy for coffee. From where did you meet him? A friend Online? had shared. No, this was before I ever navigated that whole. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> a whole episode in and of itself. Yeah. Um, no, this was a, a mutual friend had given me his number and then we'd been texting. And okay. um, so I show up and I'm like, it was almost, it wasn't panic attack, but I was very, very afraid. And again, imagining what if he turned out to be like my ex, what if he's a total jerk, to which of course I'm then rationalizing myself, well, if he's an asshole, just don't see him again. Like, just show up and see if he's a total jerk. But it was important for me to do and take that step. And like within three minutes, I'm sitting there and I realize I'm like, I am bored out of my mind. <laughs> like, dude could not carry on a conversation with me. And I was like, this is torture. Like, no. And left and I was like, okay, on with my day. Like, waitress, waitress, off. more wine, waitress, please. <laughs> <laughs> we weren't even drinking wine. I was like, what was I thinking? Um, not even drinking. Wow. That's wow. even, okay. Yeah, less I'm concerned on that one. But, and then I walked away and I was like, okay, don't ever need to do that with you again. I mean, he was just so boring. And yeah. then he was also very much still hung up on his dead wife who passed uh, away like 12 years ago. I'm like, oh, I am not competing no. with ghosts. He called her my soulmate. I'm like, oh, oh let it go. I'm like, seriously? She's moved on. Clearly, you know, you still haven't. Yeah, you never told me that story, and oh, that de- that deserves a whole episode. <laughs> that story is <laughs> talking about his dead wife from twelve years ago. Yes, and that her being her. Why would you? Oh my god! What people Ron will say on so the first date? Them. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like just dude. <laughs> and then he asked. He texted me afterward and wanted to meet again, and I'm like, oh my god, just shoot me now! Like if this is what dating is like, I just can't. It's not that I cannot carry a conversation by myself. I don't want to be the one carrying the conversation. I want someone that's going to engage with me. And communication is so critical to me. And this guy just didn't have it. Like, Okay, well, let's loop this back to overcoming <laughs> fear. <laughs> so did that help you overcome the fear of dating? It or actually that like, did. It really, really Oh, did. so it wasn't shell shock. It was No, <laughs> it was like, okay, box checked. I've done that now. So I've okay. proven that I'm capable of doing it. And I also appreciate seeing that, no, he wasn't my ex-husband and there are men that I haven't met in the world that might be interesting to talk to. He just wasn't one of them. So, so it doesn't necessarily have to go well for you to overcome the fear of doing something. No, it could be literally an hour. <laughs> like, Disaster. Oh my God. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, the next time it was a lot easier. Not that I didn't have any fearful thoughts, but it was a lot, a lot easier. That first one anticipating that was awful. And I ended up turning around before he got there and a friend of mine walks in and I'm like, oh, hi. So it was helpful for me to see a friend of mine before meeting this random guy. So, wow. It does. <laughs> I mean, dating, I still wouldn't categorize as necessarily fun. But No. I mean, you don't seem to be as self-conscious as I am, or I was self-conscious when it came to dating. Like, I was more concerned about myself, not the other person. Well, most people are. It's really yeah. about you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Maybe my narcissism. I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, so like that anticipation is like, that's the catalyst. That was the year. worst part. I mean, that's where yeah. all the fear was. Once I was there, I was like, you do this all the time. Like you have one-on-one meetings all the yeah. time. You literally do this every day. What the hell's wrong with you? Just show up and have a conversation with them. That's funny you just said that because I thought this that was a turning point for me with dating when I started to think, I'm like... I'm meeting clients all the time, face the to face. Time. I talk all, all the, the time. time and ends with no anxiety. I'm like, I'm right. fine. I know how to meet clients. I've been doing it like my whole career. Just look at this person as a client. 
Right. And then I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Oh, I don't know. Why, yeah. <laughs> yeah. In my head, I'm projecting, oh, what, but what if this girl is the right person for me and I screw it up? Or what if, I don't know. I don't know yeah. what I was thinking. Yeah. So the idea is the fear doesn't disappear. It doesn't. You, no, you, you, you can't can, eliminate or totally ever avoid it. It's not possible. It's but you can going. practice and you can sort of get better and better at navigating through and beyond it. But I think if you go into it thinking, if I do this, the fear will completely be gone. That's not it's a not healthy true. way of thinking about it. It's not possible. It. And like, so when I met that first guy, then it was like a year before I ever dated anybody else. But it did get easier. And then yeah. it just, it wasn't as debilitating or paralyzing for me. Because mm. initially for two years, I let it stop me completely. Like, nope, not for me. Yeah. And well, that think- was a choice too. But it wasn't one that I really, if I'm honest, wanted to maintain long term. Well, I think people's normal reaction, most people's normal reaction to an instance where they even try to confront their fear, like they go on that first date or they do something that is horrifying to them. Scary, yeah. And they go through it and they're very fearful in that moment. Like Mm -hmm. they could still make that decision that now I'm never doing this again. Right. You could. You could. Because I think in their mind, they thought if I at least do this once, then I could eliminate the fear. Right. You know, if I can get through it, but it doesn't really, it gets easier. Obviously in practice, like if you're a public speaker, the first 20 times you do it, you're going to be terrified. But then on the hundredth time, you're going to be a little more, a lot more comfortable. Totally. And, you know, you do it a thousand times, you're going to, it's like a walk in the park. Mm -hmm. You're proving to yourself that you can do it, that you can just show up and do things that scare you. But I think, again, this is all like an internal experience, right? Completely. So since it is, then panic, panic or anxiety, panic or fear. And since it's the same feeling as excitement with yeah. two different interpretations of it. So panic and fear, mm-hmm. it just has a negative connotation. It has this misery, anguish kind of, that's the storyline you're putting on it. I'm short of breath. My palms are sweating. Mm-hmm. I hate this feeling. Mm-hmm. And then people pay good money to create that very same feeling by going skydiving, by going on a roller coaster. Totally. Like they want that. They want the shortness of breath, the heart pounding. The excitement. Yeah. It's the same feeling. I'm so curious. And I read a lot about this on how to like bridge that gap. How do you bridge the gap of going into something, you feel the fear, you reframe the story to be like, I'm excited. Mm-hmm. This is exciting. This is the same feeling I get when I'm excited. So. Stop telling yourself that, <laughs> that I'm terrified. you're terrified. Yeah. I haven't really come to a conclusion on what's the best course of action to make that work. But I think just the realization that they're the same feeling. It's again, one coin. Helps. Two sides of the same coin. Yeah. yeah. So flip it. The very fact that fear only exists within our minds and the things that we're telling ourselves, we can choose to rewrite those stories. Yeah. And it really comes down to, again, we're telling ourselves a story about the physical sensations we're having. Mm-hmm. It's an interpretation. Yeah. yeah. It's all, the only meaning that anything ever has is the meaning that we assign to it. And I love the quote that you found. Literally that kind quote. of yeah. wraps this whole post together, like the overcoming of fear, where it says, fear is excitement without the breath. Mm-hmm. Whenever I think about that, I'm like, that hits the nail on the head. Because whenever you have an anxiety attack or a panic attack, which is, mm-hmm. to me, is the worst kind of fear you could have. It's when fear just completely takes over and it just, it takes oh. over everything. It's a total overwhelming experience. 
it's because you're not breathing. You literally feel like you're suffocating and that you're going to die. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's, it's, it's one of those fears that it's all encompassing. So just breathing, like, and coming yeah. from a place where like, I, you know, I've done a lot of yoga. I mean, the whole idea of yoga, when people ask me how, why do you like yoga? Mm-hmm. Like, does it make you strong? Does it make you flexible? I'm like, no, this is the exact reason I like yoga. You spend a full hour in your breath, concentrating on your breath. And yeah. you don't do that at any other point in your life. We never do that. Never. So like no. when you go into a yoga class and you get a good instructor where they're constantly reminding you, mm-hmm. inhale, exhale, on each pose, they're telling you when to inhale and exhale. Mm-hmm. You do an hour of that, you feel like a completely different person. And it's not so much from the physical or the flexibility, it's from the breathing. Yeah. And you start to realize that, at least I catch myself, most of the time I'm breathing shallow. I'm not sitting there taking big belly breaths like a baby would take, you know, like Mm -hmm. babies just take, you know, I never see a baby with shortness of breath. Because we're all up in our minds. And so that just brings our breath more and more shallow. Yeah. It's like the the more more that's up in our head. Yeah. Yeah. The more it's stirring around up there, just the shallow, like the tighter you get. It's like. That's how I got across that damn bridge. I was like, and I'm literally driving in the car, death grip on the steering wheel. (laughs) I choose to breathe, relax, and trust the process. And I'm like, one mile at a time, nothing. Yeah, and it's hard to do that breath when you're clenching too. Totally. You're trying to like you got to relax your body to breathe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a very strange thing. Bridges kind of sometimes do it for me too. There's the one, the one in Charleston does it for me. You ever go oh, to that ch- one I actually like. It's I have, like the super uh, high one. Yeah, the Ravenel Bridge. Is that the, what it's called? Yeah. I've actually walked across that and it didn't trigger my fear of heights, which is interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that one did it for me while I was driving. Ugh. I didn't like that one. That one doesn't bother me. I like big bridges, like very big and wide. So it seems like a highway. I don't want to be like right next to the guardrail. I think that's what part of the problem with me on this last one was like, whoo, you just felt exposed. And yeah, I was like, oh my God, nobody really knows that I'm here. I can't die in New Orleans. Like, this is just. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to go out like this. Yeah. Oh, no, I don't know anyone here. I'm all by myself. Yeah. (laughs) Crazy. Yeah. We could do multiple podcasts on overcoming fear. We're just like scratching the surface, I think, at this point. I mean, I think we covered a lot, but it's just... Yeah. It's so ingrained. It's so ingrained in us. Everybody knows what it is. Everybody has different things that trigger their fear. Totally. We didn't even get into like fear of success, fear of failure. Oh, there's a whole other light you know. side of... what is? Have you ever seen the Marianne Williamson quote that I will butcher now? But sorry, but it's, it's not our darkness that most terrifies us. It's our light. We are not afraid of failing. Most we're not most afraid of failing. We're most afraid of success. Yeah, how powerful we are. Yeah, I remember that fear with that comes along with success, which you wouldn't think the opposite, right? You always think it's fear of failure. No, sometimes it's fear of success. Totally. What comes along with success? I mean, we see it every day with like rock stars and actresses, and you know, people that get fame early in life. I mean, a lot of times it destroys them. You know, so maybe that's kind of planted in the back of our minds. Oh, totally. Culturally, it is. Yeah. So, I mean, there's all kinds of fears. It's not only like fear of heights and fear of flying and fear of... Fear of creativity. Fear of intimacy. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's not that's fear. <laughs> pattern. Damn it. Me too. Me too. Uh, fear of intimacy. That's a tough one. That's it. Yeah. Significant because it's a program, a story running in the background and less than until we're aware of it, we can't change it. And you mentioned in the last podcast, like fear of holding the space. You're mm-hmm. very good at holding the space for your friends. I think I am too for... Oh, you're totally my informal therapist, just as much as I am yours. <laughs> I've got a whole army of them in my life because I need, like, I need to be able to fall apart too. I can't just be the one holding the space for everybody else. But there's people that I have a tough time holding the space for. Oh, t- yes. You know, there's so, the, you know, it's very easy for some people, but there's a certain personality trait that is very difficult for me. And it's the people that are always like preaching or giving you advice and just talking over you or just have this like just arrogant demeanor. The know-it-all. I have a very tough time with like just sitting there and yeah, it's it's a tough place. I usually don't choose to spend much time with people like that. I actually dated a guy that was, he actually worked in a career related to finance. I was like, what is it that's bothering me about this guy? It wasn't, there was like a condescension to his behavior and some mm. of the things he would say. And I was like, I don't like that. I don't want that around me. Yeah. I attract those people. They just come to me. Like they, I, I don't think, I think what happens is I'm accepting of them in, in the beginning and then they latch on. Yes. You know, it's one of those things where I'm like, cause I'm kind of open to anybody in the beginning, but for whatever reason, like I don't, it's not easy for me to like turn my back. And so I wind up remaining so. Yeah, this is yeah, this is my therapy session, I guess. Yeah. There's a whole chapter in my first memoir about boundaries. 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 Like not everyone deserves a seat at the table of your life. Like, I don't need 7.5 billion friends. I don't want 7.5 billion friends. And what do you do with your family members that are the ones that you you know, that's the tough part, right? That's the whole episode. Uh, family of origin. I mean, I have an interesting conversation. Ask a therapist, informal or formal, about their family of origin. I think when I (laughs) when I really re-listen to this podcast, I think I'm going to have like five more blog ideas. There you go. Yeah, family of origin. There's one. That's a whole topic. Definitely. That we're all walking around wounded. All childhood wounds. I mean, the details differ, but yeah, escapes childhood and the level of trauma differs too. I mean. And level of sometimes abuse. But. Yeah. But I think sometimes the people that look on the surface that their family is perfect and everything's together, they have the, the, they most, have skeletons. the most skeletons in the closet. They yes. do. It always kind of works out that way. You know, like they got the family photo and the family photo is going out to everybody on the holidays and they got my dog and my perfect house. And, we're and he or she is having an affair. And yeah, yeah. I know all the dirt. It's yeah. So the way I handle my family of origin, I'll just say there are, there are a lot of reasons that they live in one area of the country and I live here in Charlotte. Gotcha. Distance is a very effective boundary. It really is. I do go and visit them. I have a three night maximum. Like I just can't do more than three nights. Yeah. It's like the family is like fish, right? It's good to see you. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> After three days, it goes bad. Three nights, I'm like, all right, well, I'll come visit, but for three nights only. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, who told me that family's like fish after three days it goes bad kind of thing? I forgot, I forgot where I heard that. I think it's a Long Island thing. Anyway, so, well, that's our post on overcoming fear. fear. 
And we're going to get back to that one. I mean, that's, we got to dig, we got to dig. We need to do a, an episode on the light, like the lighter things that we, we fear, like how we self-sabotage and. Yes. It doesn't have to be the life threatening, you know, like driving off a bridge and right. <laughs> dying in a plane crash and yeah. get, getting um, eaten by a shark. Yeah. Yeah. More of the cerebral, like real cerebral, not like the physical danger. In some ways, I think more dangerous because they're so insidious and they're so subtle. Mm-hmm. Like, how do we hold ourselves back? You know, I ask myself that a lot. Like, how, am I holding myself back out of fear? Or what's underneath my resistance to this? Yeah, and it's always running in the background. Like, it's you wake up with it. It's almost like it's the same pattern every day. Every day, you're thinking the same thing. Yes, yeah, so you don't see it after a while. Yeah, you but don't it's see it. Impacting your behavior. Yeah. All right. So let's wrap this up. <laughs> Episode 17, Overcoming Fear. All right. So 18, we have a post that we wrote called Finding Yourself. I like that one a lot. Not that I don't like all of them. They're all like my children, I suppose. But yeah, yeah it's kind of like yourself. it's kind of like a cliche sort of like phrase, like finding yourself. Like, what does that mean? Like, you know, I always think of the hippie being uh-huh. at Woodstock. That's and drop, part of the post. Yeah. Do, some, do some acid. <laughs> yeah, man. Free love. Uh-huh. Yeah. Reality is the opposite. You got to walk through the fire. You got to walk through the fire. It's not not having free love sex and doing drugs. Yeah. It involves trauma and grief and loss and lots of different topics. So that'll be a good one. Yeah. So come join us next week with uh, all these fun topics. (laughs) Trauma, trauma, (laughs) grief, loss. Yeah. You're going to love it. Great way to spend your Monday. It's amazing how much fun you and I have with these topics. (laughs) (laughs) Well, please come follow us at faconfessions.com. Subscribe, share, like, comment, review. Review. All right, I'm getting it. All right, Diane, it's been great once again. Always a pleasure, Al. And uh, we will see you next time. See you next week.